I'm Patrick Medivh, your host of ITM, and today I have a special guest, Johnny Russo, who's also known as Carlo Rizzi from The Godfather. He's telling me stories about Marlon Brando, he told stories about Al Pacino, stories about all of these other characters that were in Godfather, and some of the stuff. Some of the stuff you listen to in this interview, you're going to say, there's no way in the world I believe this, but you'll be the judge of that. Gianni? Thank you, my man. Good to have you on that. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here watching, getting ready to do this, you obviously together, and I'm telling myself, what you and I just talked about in the last hour, fascinating. Thank you. The amount of stuff you've experienced, it's crazy. It's like a hundred people's lives into one life. Well, I, had a, I started very young, it's 12, got the loyalty of so many people. And I'm still around, I'm 76. So look how many years I've been doing this. That's unbelievable. And, but I did interesting things. I was not a person that, I'd, I'd get bored if I wasn't changing my occupation every seven years and doing something like that. So I, I say, you know, I'm trying to say what angles to go, but I say we start off with Godfather. How about we do that? Please. We do, God, I wanna go Godfather, and then we go back to upbringing story, how that was, and then how it led to post-Godfather. But I wanna start off with Godfather. So, I've heard a lot of stories okay. about how it happened where you got the role, right? You know, they're looking for different people to play Carlos and Carlo, and they're thinking about who this guy's gonna be, and then somehow, some way, you come out of nowhere and you start playing that role. So, what is your version of the story, based on what I've heard? I wanna hear from you. Well, that's probably the cleanest version. Because <laughs> what I've heard is craziness. No, I, I always, I'm my ego, and I still have a tremendous ego, and, and a drive, and I always wanted to be an actor. And I always heard, you know, your trials and tribulations, you gotta study, you gotta do this. And I figured, how am I gonna get in? Then, they came out with the, the book, mm -hmm. and I, I had someone read it to me, because I can't read it at that time. She read it, and then I knew they were having problems with anti-defamation league, the Colombo family. So, I, at the time, was, I had jewelry stores in Las Vegas, and I was doing, you know, all kinds of things down there. So I had, I was doing my own commercials. So I had the camera crew, so I shot a scene for Michael, scene for Carlo, and a scene for Sonny. You did all those three? I did the three. Got it. And then I played politics, and I got to meet Betty McCart, okay. who was Al Ruddy's executive secretary. So her girlfriend got to meet her. I said, I had this test, and I was figuring, everybody in the world must be sending tests. How can I make this exclusive? So I said, what kind of cars is he like? She said, oh, he loves Bentleys and Rolls Royces. I just happen to have one. I said, what kind of women? She said, it was Chinese women. Who, this is who? This is? This is Betty McCart, Al Ruddy's secretary. And you're asking who and how, what, what would attract him. Got it. So, so I got my 16 millimeter reel of film that I shot, mm -hmm. and I got the book cover and I wrapped it, and I got my Chinese chick I had to find one, it was easy in Vegas. I went to the Tropicana Hotel, and the line had every girl in the world. I found this little Chinese girl. I paid her $1,000, which was a lot of money. But I had so much cash, I just had to get rid of cash at that time. I said, three days, drive in, rest. I bought her a wet look. This material looked like uh, leather, but it wasn't. Made her a little uniform to match my car. And then I had Betty McCart arrange for me to get a drive on. I didn't want it left at the gate. I said, I want to drive on 
for her to come in. So I'll arrange it. So we had it all planned. So, and I made her give me blow by blow by blow. I was down the street. And so she pulls onto the lot. And when she pulls up to Ruddy's building, he was looking at the Venetian fly because they already told him, this car is going to see this chick come to your office. He, didn't he has care. no clue. He, no, he didn't even know what he but she's delivering. And then she delivers this to him. They talk for a brief minute and he leaves. Unbeknownst to me, my test was shot on Araflex film, 16 millimeter camera with a mag stripe. That's before tape, before all that mm -hmm. stuff. And I bought old film. So it had a sepia look, the color was destroyed. But unbeknownst to me, Francis Ford Coppola was trying to convince Paramount to shoot the whole movie in a sepia look, antique look. So it wasn't my t test that they liked. They were sending it all around to see that's what it should be. So now they send me a letter because I read in the newspaper that they were going to use unknowns. Like so many people said they were going to, this guy, the other, and it was all false. And they sent me a nice letter saying, we saw we misled you. Obviously, you went through a lot of expense to make your test. We're using actors. I said, uh-oh. So now I knew that Colombo was using this book as, as the footstone to peel everything about Italian-Americans, how they've shown in this country, and he's going to ban this movie. Got it. And he had a big rally. I mean, thousands and thousands of people showed up at Columbus Circle to pick it. And he was picking the FBI building. And they called him in. Gambino and said, listen, mm. understand one thing. You're ahead of a family. You don't pick at the FBI building. They say, you better stop with all this bullshit. Like so many other dawns as we go through life, as I did, got out of order. So I, somehow or other, said, how am I going to get their attention? And I didn't have to do anything. I, I was planning to do something. Some idiots on the West Coast, Italian-Americans, were going to show Joe their support. They blew up the gates of Melrose, of Paramount. They're 20 feet tall. They blew it up. Blew them up on Sunday morning. They were laying on, on the streets. So this is my opportunity. So I called Betty McCart. I said, Betty, what's happening? She said, it's all over the news. She said, yeah. I says, uh, where's Ruddy? Oh, she said, they're all leaving. They're going to New York. Bobby Evans, Stanley Jaffe, they all flew to New York. They said, that we got to stop this. They thought these people were going to kill him. <laughs> it was an idiot that did that. So I took the advantage. I got on a red eye. I flew there. And at the Gulf and Western building, which is Trump now, I'm there, sitting there. And the only reason they knew me, they all saw my test. So I'm sitting in the bench in the lobby. And Ruddy looks to me, he says, Johnny Russo, I said, yeah. He said, what are you doing here? I said, you got a problem, I think I can straighten it. We don't have no problem. I said, stop bullshitting me out, you got a problem. So he went upstairs, I don't know if he was going up to call the FBI, call New York, I didn't know what he was gonna do. They come down, about a half hour later, I go up, everybody's in the room, and they said, what do you know about what's going on here? I said, well, the world knows what's going on here. Italians are not going to make you make this movie unless you do the right thing. He said, well, and what's that? I said, well, I know, and I didn't know. I was bullshit. <laughs> I said, I know what's bothering them. And I think if we straighten that out, they'll let you make the movie. If without them, you're not going to get the union cooperation. You're not going to get any locations. And this was already when Francis was doing tests they had a Cinemobile here, and they were down on Mulberry Street. Mm -hmm. They went into lunch, they stole the truck. It was like $2,000 mm. worth of climb equipment. They just took it. Wow. To let them know, you don't come to our neighborhood without permission. So they really knew this is not just bullshit. And by the, budget, by, the budget, by the way, was what, like a $5 million he asked for, and he wanted 83 days, they gave him like 50-something days. I know. 
was crazy. How are you going to get that done? Well, we did it. Well, we, then they started, when they started seeing the dailies, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So what happens, so, I now go down the street, because the league had an office on Madison Avenue. And this young attorney, who's still my attorney, Barry Schlotnick. He was He's the, here, local. Yeah, he's still here. Okay. He's a great guy. And he, and he, was, a, a, he was really well-known mob attorney as he grew, but this was a young kid at the time. So I go to the league, and Joe didn't come in yet. So I go to Brooklyn and see Joe. I said, Joe, because they were selling a buck a button. That's how they were raising money. Italian flag, you give them a buck. So I see Joe, I said, Joe, this movie, you can make a lot of money. He said, I'm not gonna make money with this. I said, if you sit with them, I could arrange a meeting, bring Barry with us, let him read the book. Whatever you don't like, let him straighten it out. He said, how do I make money? I said, I'm gonna arrange, and I didn't ask Paramount about this. I said, I'm gonna arrange for you to get the world premiere in every major city the night before it opens. As you could sell tickets for $100, $150. You could arrange for that? And I said, yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if I could or not. So now I go back. He said, I'd set up the meeting. I said, what's good for you? He said, let's do 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. I said, okay. So I go up there, and I knew they all knew the book. They all come together, and I said, I, I arranged a sit down for you. They said, what? I said, we're gonna have a sit down. We ain't leaving there. I said, no, they can come here tomorrow, 10 o'clock in the morning. So I told Joe, I said, bring people with him. So he brought Butterash to Chico with him. He brought a crew. I mean, it was like the original cast of The Godfather. <laughs> they come in, so now I talk to Joe. I'm down the lobby, I'm gonna bring him up to the third, third floor. I said, do one thing, if we get this on, I play Michael, Sonny Carlo. No problem. So we go up. They talk back and forth, this, that, and the other. And he, they brought out certain points that they, they don't like being me referred to as guineas and wops and this. And they don't want to be used. They don't, they don't want those yeah. names. Were, were there any one of that going to be used anyways in the script? Oh, yeah, it was all over. It was supposed to be. And then one guy. Okay. It was so funny, though. Interesting. Which is funny. We'll, we'll jump ahead. We'll have, being that you brought it up, I was the only one that used, clean up, you guinea brat. That, I shot that scene a week after Colombo got shot. Because <laughs> how could one going to say, clean it up? you got to say what I said. She was a guinea brat. That's what we used to say in the neighborhood. You know, it's like black people call themselves whatever they call themselves. We called ourselves guinea. He didn't want it in the book. So I used it right away. Everybody went crazy. I said, don't worry about it. You just got shot. He ain't going to say nothing. <laughs> so now we have this meeting, and they resolve it. They said, we're going to read it. We'll take out what you want. They shake hands, and that's and the other. Everything's happening. He's going to get the world premieres. So they're all getting up. I, I say, Joe, what about me? He looked around and he goes like this. Everybody sat down like he was gone. Everybody sat down. He said, what are we going to do for my boy here? They said, oh, we're going to give him a part. I said, no, 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 no. I said, either I play Michael, Sonny, or Carlo. So they said, well, this is news to a lot of people in your audience. They said, we already cast Sonny. It's Carmine Caridi. He's in a Broadway play, Man from La Mancha, big guy. And James Caan is playing Michael. I said, who's playing Carlo? They said, no, I said, I'm playing Carlo. They looked at each other, and Joe says, he's playing Carlo. And that was it. So then they played another game on me. They said, have your agent call. I said, I got no agent. You don't have an agent? No. He says, are you in the union? I said, no. I said, well, don't worry about it. I did my homework. This is a Taft-Hartley state, right to work state. You give me the letter, I'll go join the union now. They gave me a letter, I ran over there. I played Carlo. It changed my life. Wow. It's 50 years 
I mean, now I'm partners with Viacom. It's, it's crazy. So that's pretty wild to think about that. So you've never acted before Godfather? No. Never done a movie? Well, I, I'm a born actor, but I never. But, but, but I'm talking never, like a oh, feature film. Nothing. 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 So nothing. you closed and sold yourself into it. Yeah. Now let me ask you, let's go prior to that, because now I wanted to go to this part, how you got it, and then we're going to get to the Marlon, Marlon Brando, the stories. Let's go prior to that. So, who were you in high school? You and I are in high school. High together. school? I never went to high school. You never went to high school. When I got out of Bellevue, I hit the streets. I was a gimpyat. See, what they did, I had an incident. I don't know if we'll get into that now. I had an incident in the hospital, and they moved me from the polio ward. Let's talk about that. Let's to talk the about insane that. ward. I went upstairs for 72 hours of observation. But talk about that. Talk about the fact on, you know, you're seven years old. What happened there? Just prior to, to me going to Bellevue and being quarantined, my mother, I got up, my, my father's old school Italian. So I had two older sisters. We're living in a two-bedroom flat down on Mulberry Street. So my sisters had a room. My mother and father had that room. So where are they going to put me? <laughs> they had a, a utility closet, which they cleaned out. They put a youth mattress on the floor. And why I think I get away with a lot of things, we had a five-gallon kerosene thing that they used to put to fuel the heat in the house. Mm -hmm. And every five minutes, they hear boom, boom, boom. And the stench of kerosene, I think I'm brain damaged till today. I'm going to use that sometime in a case. So I was there, and the only way to get out of that bed was on the left side. Mm. So one morning I got up, I couldn't get out. I had no feeling on the left side of my bed. How old are you at the time? That's I was just seven. Seven. And, you know, nothing. So I called my mother, and my, and my father was still home yet. And he said, oh, no, I'll give him some aspirin. He'll be all right. You know, maybe he's got a cramp, you know. So my mother, being the mother that she was at the time, took me to a clinic down the block. I don't know what they're talking about, you know, like any other kid at that year, paying attention to that. Then the next morning, the bell rings early and I hear my mother crying. And I thought my mother and father had another fight, they were always fighting. And two ambulance guys are there and they came for me because they did the blood work and I had polio. And everybody was so frightened with polio in America at that time. This was 1849. People were dying, thousands of people. They thought it was the water. They shut off all the fountains, the fire hydrants, everything. No swimming pools because they didn't know how to control wow. it. It was that contagious. Wow. And then I was a part of Jonas Salk's vaccine experiments. And that was the screw up at first too. And I, I was already going to church every day with my grandmother. So, and I'm saying to God, why did you do this to me, God? I mean I, I mean, I can cry about it now because they took me out of there. I couldn't believe it, man. And you're seven years old. And they, they, they brought a, a, a small stretcher upstairs because we were in a little, a little tenement. And they couldn't put me on the stretcher, thank God. So the guy put his arms underneath my arms and that, and my, trying to hold my mother's hand. And they carried me down these steps and put me in an ambulance. So now I go to the hospital and I'm begging my mother because she had to sign me in. Please don't leave me. She said, I'm not going to leave you. And I didn't want to say the nurses were callous. Uh, not censored, but that's what they do. They weren't worried about me. And I'm praying, saying it, they're saying it, my patrons say it. Mm -hmm. And after about a half hour paperwork, we went upstairs and uh, I, re I remember I was on a gurdy, they strapped me in, my mother took all my clothes, they put me in a gown, and then my mother was holding my hand and the nurse said, you have to let his hand go. I said, what do you mean? No, your mother can't go here. And I looked up and I saw the biggest word in my life quarantined across the door. You remember that vividly? Oh yeah. I, I, I didn't know what it said, but I saw this 
not, not like exit or something, like stop, mm -hmm. quarantine unit. That was it. I went in there for five years. Five years? Did you see how never often you saw mom and dad? Never. What do you mean never? They were not allowed to visit you. Five years? Five years. Who'd you see for five years? Nobody. I saw 20 kids in the ward. You saw nobody for five years? Nobody. No family? No family. First of all, I think it got to be that my father wanted to come anyway, because, you know, he's that kind of guy. But my mother, but I, I, I saw even the other kids never had visitors. But for the first three or four months, uh, that was in August, and my birthday's in December. What I'm about to tell you is probably one of the reasons I'm alive today. There's two reasons. One was Dolores Blown. She was the, the candy striper when she got there. She was Carlo Gambino's niece. Hmm. And he told her, there's a kid from the neighborhood, make sure you watch him. They were always watching me, and I didn't know it, because of the, you know, our relationship in Sicily and all that. Your uncle was uh, con yeah, uh, connected to guy. the Gambino. Yeah. Oh, no. No, the Gambinos were connected to that. Yeah. No, they oh, the other way oh, around. Oh, yeah, the other way around. They sent those guys here. Because the real, real power is in Sicily. That's Still where is. It's yeah. Still there. Yeah. No, but so what happened was she would bring me the jello and, you know, the, you know, the hug at night. But now my birthday was coming December 12th. I figured maybe they'll surprise me, they'll come. Nobody came. I was hysterical. I'm, a, you know, seven years old, just turning eight at yeah. that December. And I heard on the radio, this can sound very bizarre, but this is how my life cycles go. I heard on the radio, WNEW said, today is Frank Sinatra's birthday, chairman of the board, Hoboken, Italian-American, and little skinny kid, I was skinny, and I related to this guy. I told Sinatra that story at the Copa four or five years later. Mm -hmm. I was 16, so maybe a little more than that. I told him the story, he started crying. I saw Sinatra cry twice in his life, personally. That day, and I was backstage between shows at Caesar's Palace when his mother's plane was his plane, mm -hmm. but it was missing. And she was supposed to be the second show, the table, the chairs were there. And he's not a religious guy. And at the end of the first show, he said, I'd like you all, if you would please, whatever your religious beliefs are, pray for my mother. She's supposed to be sitting here. I'm worried. Because they didn't want to tell him. The plane hit a mountain, which is ironic, because when he abused Dean Martin later on, Dean's son hit the same mountain. Get out of here. Same mountain. Get out crazy. of here. Yeah. Is that weird? No. Wow. Yeah, I was like, Phew. But, um, and I became close to Frank with that, you know, because of that. From seven to, seven to 12, you don't see your parents, five years. I mean, that's, that's. An eternity. That's an eternity, five no, years. I didn't watch I mean, how do you do that. I didn't do anything anybody else did. If you went you to You get third, out, what happens to when, when I got out, I went back to the neighborhood, the only thing I knew. You know, that, the parallels even with Marilyn, we'll get into it later. That's how her and I connected. She was in an orphanage in, in the valley, yeah. looking at Warner Brothers Studio. And she said, someday I'm gonna be there as an actress. And I, when I finally got the bed, the window with the bed, like maybe it took two years to get to that window, mm -hmm. and I finally saw what Uptown was. I'm on mm -hmm. 30th Street, but I'm still looking up. Mm -hmm. I only saw Little Italy, <laughs> the neighborhood. That's crazy. And that was my goal. I'm gonna be up here. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. So I'm gonna be Sinatra. And now I had Sinatra, I mean, how ironic is that? Sinatra was my only singing teacher. And he wind up baptizing my last son, Luciano. 
Crazy. And you end up singing yourself. You become a singer yourself. You perform oh, yeah. for a bunch of events. Oh my God. You oh, won oh, awards. Oh, yeah. uh, you, you know, what awards did you win? You won like a six, you said six. Uh, oh, not, not me singing, no. I was producing that. Oh, producing, yeah. yeah. But you, you but singing. Trump I would put parties here. He would ask you oh, to Trump come did perform. a big party for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I opened Trump Marina. Then. Let's go back to 12. So did you see your parents post 12? Did you go back and live with your parents? No, or no, no. I, I used to go visit them. I didn't. I knew I couldn't be there. My father was always abusive. I mean, I, I, there was times my father. I could. My father, as a young kid, yeah. Before I went to the hospital, told me, "When you see me on the street, if I don't acknowledge you, don't say wow. anything to me." Because he was a player. He wanted to pick up girls. He didn't want nobody to know he had three kids. He was a real buffoon, mm, a real it. jerk. Until got he died. That's it. who he was. And he always abused my mother. And but you know, I. I to me, I, was, I wasn't bitter at them. I was sad that they didn't have the courage. I mean, you try to take one of my kids, and I got a lot of kids, I got 11 kids. Take one of my kids, I'll grab that kid and go to Canada. You know, like so many people did during the yeah. draft. You don't take a kid. And so, but anyway, but look where I am today, thank God. Yeah, no doubt about it. Sometimes you, you hear you these, that. Yeah, that's what I think. I think there's a big part of it where the bigger the pain, the bigger the upside. You could have gone either way, by the way. It, oh, I it, almost it, did. Oh, yeah, when I was younger, so, I wanted I want to become an assassin. I was so bitter. So, but but that's the part because you have a you have an aspect of your life that is linked to the mob, a big part of it life that's linked to the mob, and then the other side is entertainment. Right. I, I go to Delancey Street one day, and I see this new invention called ballpoint pens. You don't need ink anymore. Mm. And the store was 10 feet wide. So I go in the store, and there's the man there. And I said, you're the owner of the store? He said, yeah. And I introduced myself. And he said, I'm Mr. Rabinowitz. I said, Mr. Rabinowitz, I got, I, I got something I think you're going to love. I said, what's that? He says, I'm going to become your partner. And he looked at me. And he called his brother, Leo, come here. I want you to meet our new partner. He's playing with, with a heavy Jewish accent. And I said, no, I'm serious. He said, so how, how are you going to be my partner? Tell me, tell me. I said, you're selling ballpoint pens. He says, yeah. I said, well, I'm going to expand your business. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, you're here. You got 10 feet, 200 feet wide. I said, you should be selling spaghetti, not ballpoint pens. So he said, very funny. He said, how are you going to do this? I said, you're going to give me 50 pens. Give? I give nobody nothing. Give? I ain't giving. I said, listen to me, please. I'll take. Take? You ain't taking. I said, all right. I'll leave here with 50 pens. Tomorrow morning you come. If 20 are missing, I pay for them. Give me the 50 again. I'll do that every day. He said, how do I know you'll come back? I said, my grandfather told me, look a man in the eye, give him your word, and shake his hand. That's it. That's all you need in life. He said, grandfather's a smart man. He gave me the pens. Then I asked, because I was seeing one. I didn't have went to office space. Or mm -hmm. And I saw they got paid in paychecks. I walked in the bank, and they're filling envelopes. Mom man Pinto was from our neighborhood. I knew he was at Marine Midland Bank. So I go in, I said, when is the paydays here? He said, oh, we have to stagger them because they're paying in cash. I said, would you give me the list of when, when you're paying who? He said, why, you want to rob them? I said, no, I said, I have an idea because I wanted to go. Once you got your envelope, let me show up 15 minutes later. Mm. You had all this Timing. change. Yeah. So it got to be, months went by, that I'd walk into these places, I knew their schedule. Every day I was somewhere else. But then it got to be, they just opened the drawer. They had typewriter raised ballpoint pens and you didn't want no more. So I come out, I was disappointed, and it, it, you know, all the train stations are still the same. So I'm on Broadway and Canal, and I see N and R, and it says Uptown. 
I always wanted to go uptown from the hospital. I said, I'm going up. So I got off of 59th Street and 5th Avenue, and I made that my stop. I stood outside of Sherry Nellinen's hotel. Van Cleef and Arpel, I had this gimp on that I was starting to pull it into my shirt because it was growing too fast. My little cigar box, but I didn't take the typewriter erasers. Just these little jewel pens that were coming out. Everybody would come by, give me a dollar. You know, and I saw, to me as a kid, I, I looked at everybody and I said, every day is Sunday here. Because I used to talk to the doorman. He says, what do you mean? I said, everybody has their Sunday best on. Because they all dressed to the nines. My neighbor, nobody dressed maybe Sunday to go to church. That's how I met Costello. He started walking down. He used to cross town every day. He lived on the west side. That's how you got connected. And he walked down 59th Street, come to 5th Avenue, mm -hmm. go into the Sherry Netherlands, get a shine, come back out. That's how I got to see him. And then he touched my shoulder. says, kid, what are you doing here? I said, I'm selling pens. He looked at Ben's open cigar box, he'd throw a dollar in, five dollars, never take a pen. This went on for a couple of months. And then one day, maybe he had more time, he always had somebody or two guys with him. And he says to me, what's your name? And I told him my name. He says, you're Italian. I said, yeah. He's Russo. I said, yeah. He says, uh, who's Angelo Russo to you? I said, Angelo Russo's my uncle. He's Angelo Russo's your uncle. I said, yeah, why? He says, when's the last time you saw him? I said, I never saw him. I said, they hung him in London in 1948. And he looked at Blackie, now, now he knew the guy's name now. He says, this guy's telling the truth. I said, I don't lie. I said, I take offense to that. And he, he looked at me. He says, you know where the, the Waldorf clock is? I said, yeah, everybody knows where it is. In the lobby in the Waldorf on Park Avenue. He's be there tomorrow at 11 o'clock. I said, okay. And he said, Blackie, take that cigar box home. You never do this again. I don't want to see you begging on the street. Gave me two $100 bills. I was with that man till 1973, <laughs> till he died. And I couldn't go to his funeral because they had a warrant out for my arrest. So I went to the school across the street. He was, he was buried up on 86th Street in Park Avenue. Campbell's the big, everybody gets buried out of there. But I had to show my respect. And then I called his wife that night and I described what she said, where were you? And then she said, I, I shouldn't even ask you that because she knew they were looking for me. I said, I just want to let you know you look gorgeous today and my respects, I've been praying for him. And that was it. But that's how long I was with this guy. What'd you learn in that, in that uh, period? Oh my God. I mean, you, you, you met every single mob boss in the US, right? All of them. Well, not only that, at the time, unbeknownst to me, I was a kid, I was just a messenger. And you know, he'd give me envelopes, go here, go there. First, I was in, stayed in the city for about two or three years. I used to go, to this apartment. There's, there was 24 phone writers here, blackboards, that accounting room here. And then I pick up here at the end of the day, then I make all my stops. Sherry Netherlands Hotel, the Plaza Hotel, all the hotels, all the barbershops is where they took the numbers and the horse beds. I would take them and I'd take them to the Wyndham Hotel on 58th Street. And every day I'd go there and say, take the elevator top floor, I'd go there, and they had people out there and I'd go in, I mean, it was like a bank. Everybody had visors, was counting money, was doing this. So I thought I was being cute. Then I, he'd go to dinner every night. Mm -hmm. And if he needed me, this is before cell phones. They knew how to get in touch with me. And I'd come back and I did errands for him at night. He went to dinner every night home, Mr. Costello. This guy, thank God it was him and not some crazy, like a John Gotti or somebody. This guy was a gentleman of a gentleman. You would never know he was in the mall. That's where when Vito J. Davies came out, and he wanted his family back, Frank couldn't be happier to give it to him because Maya Lansky and the Alpha in Chicago, all over the world, put the syndicate together. And that's what became now, it's the power. That's why in Godfather II, when Hyman Roth, 
who was Mileetsky in the movie. Mm -hmm. He said, we're going to be bigger than U.S. Steel. And they were. They were doing 10 million a week. I mean, it was insane, the money he had. And the buildings, I mean, the, the buildings that he owned, he owned, he owned 11 Wall Street. I mean, him and Joe Kennedy during Prohibition, they said they made 50 million each. Wow. That's a lot. Wow. But how I met all the people, are you saying? The Waldorf Astoria, after the Appalachian Crime Committee, mm -hmm. that whole raid, mm -hmm. they never did that again. So they had their lawyers say, where can we meet? We got to meet. They all took hotel rooms in that hotel. I was visiting. I casually bumped into you. Every mob film, I met every guy, and I was always the kid. Always clean. Then he gave me money. He's got to clean up that outfit. I said, whatever you want me to do. He'd give me like $300. Go buy clothes. I'd buy enough and give him 200 back. I don't know if he was testing me. I never abused him. I was with him all along. Then he said, 1959. So I want you to start going to Vegas for me. So okay, whatever you want me to do. I always went by TWA. I didn't know they had Howard Hughes. Mm. Howard Hughes owned mm -hmm. TWA. That's another completely different angle. Oh, my story. But so you were around them all the time. Was you that? were around them all the time. All the time. All the time. Only as a kid. People would say, "What's that name?" Just a kid. Don't worry. You don't have to know his name. Well, you never actually went in. And joined the mob. No, never, never. They, they out of Sicily, told hands off that kid. A lot of people, you know, I, mean, even, I got so close to the people in Chicago. Tony Ocado, I love Tony Ocado. We mm -hmm. made a lot of a lot of business there, and I'm still friends. I'm going to Chicago all the time now. Did you ever hear a guy called Frank Nitti? No, he was with with Capone. Frank Nitti, he was a big legend. Well, you you yeah, too young. His son, Nick Nitty, and I were partners for years. Mm -hmm. We were doing a lot of laundering of money through the Vatican, which hundreds of I mean, money, you can't even believe how much money. Now his son, John Nitty, is with me now. His, his son, we're so crazy. We're three generations of Nitties. But in my book, this picture, which nobody has, this pictures of Tony Accardo, Nick Nitty, and I at the Trivia Fountain before going to the Vatican. Nobody has these pictures. That's so insane. Because you say, oh, this is so far-fetched. And then there's a photograph. And then there's, oh, there, there's a photograph. So, how do you get these photographs? Are you crazy? And that's before everybody has a camera on their, on their phone now. I've been blessed. I mean, it's so crazy. There's a lot of stories about me, of people I killed and all that. But it was always self-defense. So how did you get connected with Marilyn Monroe? Where, where did that connection take place? Oh, that's funny. As the years were progressing, I was like 15, and I got caught a couple of times on the street doing my collections, and a truant officer came up to me. It was like May of that year. And he says, come over here. I said, yes, sir. He says, why aren't you in school? I said, school, I don't go to school. I had maybe like 10 grand in my pocket from clicking everything. And I was saying to myself, oh, this guy clicks his money. How am I gonna tell Frank? So I'm being very polite. He said, well, you gotta go to school. I said, okay. So He's, uh, he's writing me a ticket. He said, what's your mother and father's name? I gave him the name, gave him the, uh, the address, one to one, Mulberry Street. You give this to your parents. If they don't turn this in within the next 10 days, we're gonna come after you. We'll put you in juvie. I said, juvie, what's juvie? Juvenile home. I said, okay. So now I'm going to Tuch Shores. I dropped the money off the window and I go to Tuch, that's where I go. Because they let me in. I mean, like, Joe DiMaggio's at the bar. Everybody's there. Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason used to film at CBS Studio right now. We have uh, this guy at Colbert show. Mm -hmm. Steve Colbert. Show, everybody's been there. I, mean, I used to go over there all the time. Everybody knew me. So I used to see Gleason all the time. 
And he was fun. I mean, I had fun with all these guys. Sonata, they used to drink martinis like two o'clock in the afternoon all day. So I go there and here comes Costello. He says, how's everything? You look a little down. I said, I said, well, the guy gave me a ticket. He looked at the ticket, he started laughing. He says, they gave you a ticket? He said, you're making more money than them. I said, I know. He said, let me straighten it out. I said, you gonna straighten it out? I said, yeah. I knew what he said. So the next day when I go to meet him all the time, he says, man, I just enrolled you in the school. I said, I don't want to go to school. He said, don't worry about it. You're gonna to go to Wilford Academy. It's on top of Lindy's, right on Broadway, between 52nd and 53rd Street. If you go there, just check in. He said, don't worry, it's all covered. So I go there, check in. I, I, I had to meet at eight o'clock in the morning. I didn't have to start anything with him until the afternoon. So the girl shows me up. What I liked about it I was all fucking broads. So I said, wait a minute. So I got my little schmuck, you know, my thing. And they teach me how to scrub him and all that. I didn't give a shit about any of that. All these broads. I said, this is like a candy store for me to get it. And I had all the money in the world. I'm, I'm making dates because I can go to Cobra anytime I want. I just tell them, you know, calm. I took them every, they couldn't even drink that, that soda. They give me, give me booze, they didn't care. But I was dating these people, taking them to the Copa, seeing Sinatra. <laughs> I had it made. And then I got close to the lady. She says, you know, you don't have to come here every day. I said, well, I'll just come for a couple hours. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> and I did that. And then Mark Sinclair, who was a colorist for L'Oreal, one of those big companies, and Kenneth. And Kenneth, you may know the name now, became Jackie O's hairdresser. And she opened a shop called Kenneth's in New York. But they were working at Lily Dashay on 56th Street and Park Avenue, mm. which every society brought in the world. So they came up, they were looking for shampoo boys. And me, I'm a clean freak. Like Paul will tell you before I got here, I'm ironing my shirt. My uniforms, are, I do all my own shit. Nobody touches my clothes. So I'm, I'm, I'm always starched. So as soon as I, these two idiots came in, they saw me and they figured, oh, this guy, this is a piece of candy. And they said, you come with us. I said, whatever they say. What, and the good news why I wanted to go, because the last hundred hours would account I could work and get paid in tips and the last hundred hours goes to me graduating. They didn't know, I didn't, I didn't want to graduate. As soon as I was, December 12th came, I'm 16, see you later with this stupid hair and doing all that. As it would be, the fourth hairdo, hair on the shampoo, you'd stand at attention to the stairs. It was a, she was a haberdasher, one of the most famous Lily Dasher. Mm. The second floor was the salon. So I'd stand there and then they'd call me and they'd give me a card, say go to room four, Never give you the latest name. What she learned to rinse. To this. They taught you, even there, procedure and all that. I go into the, sh the shampoo basin. It's a little room, private. It's Marilyn Monroe. Now, I just finished watching Marilyn Monroe at the New York Paramount. Because when it was cold at night and I wasn't at the bakery, I'd go to the movie theaters. They were open 24 hours a day. And I had everybody knew me. They gave me free popcorn. I'm watching Marilyn Monroe and some like it hot. I must have masturbated 15 times at this time. Up there. <laughs> we all would have, why not? She was on the cover of the first uh, Playboy magazine. I know. I mean, she was, she was, she was uh, amazing. So now, that's Marilyn Monroe. I pulled the drape, and I don't know how long I was looking at her, but she said, is there someone in here? I said, excuse me, please. And then I had to go through the procedures, you know, about touching you know, the water and on her wrist, is that the right temperature? And she's laying there like spread eagle when I hadn't showed in that head base, you know, we all know, and she had this, this smock on, but her legs were on, I'm saying to myself, I can't believe this. 
So now I start massaging her hair and she's moaning and she's moaning on my mind's going crazy. I get an erection. I must be poking her in the ear because she's there. My three piece sets on her shoulder. Then she started requesting me. <laughs> then like Christmas comes. Costello says to me this weekend, don't make any plans. I said, why? He said, we're going to put Marilyn Monroe in the Waldorf. You know who she is? I said, yeah, 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 yeah I know who she is. I was downstairs with him. I'm in the building. They hit her out here for a year. I don't know if you know that. Marilyn Monroe came here for one year in New York when she was having problems with Daryl Zanuck and all this. Everybody was abusing her. So she came here and they loved her. And I went there like he told me to go. I was there. I brought my, how stupid I was, I brought my little shampoo kit. I thought I was going to wash her hair. <laughs> so I'm there. She comes out with this robe on. I mean, she was gorgeous. I mean, in today's world, she'd be voluptuous. So we're talking. I'm, I'm waiting for her to say when we're going to wash her hair because I saw the robe on. I thought she was going to, you know, she's going out. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do. He just said they were the, but I didn't know she wasn't going nowhere. So then she ordered room service. I never knew what room service was. I'm in this room. How old are you at this time? I'm 16. You are 16, 16 years old. 16 years old. <laughs> 16. Just 16, actually. This was maybe like January. I mean, your blood is sponsored by Cialis at that time. Okay, You're like, tell you, me you about bleed it. Vi you know, Viagra. But that's what got this lady crazy. Because now she said, you, have it, you, you like champagne? I said, I've never had champagne. I used to, they give me little drinks, seven yeah. and seven at the Copa when I was, you know, but now she's got room service and I'm, I'm here I am. I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, I said, my friends can only see me, look at this, I got Marilyn Monroe in this room. She said, let's go take a bath. I said, you want me to take a bath? She says, yeah, come on. So she gets to the draw and she just drops her a robe and walks like another 10 feet, gets in the tub. She got the bottle of champagne, two glasses for her. So I go there, I couldn't get my pants down, my dick was so big. I was like, how am I gonna get out of this thing? And she saw my erection, she said like, Duh. And I go like an idiot, I sit at the end of the tub. I wasn't gonna take anything for granted, but there was no way to hide, I had nothing to hide it with. So I'm sitting in the tub, talking about everything in the world. I didn't want to insult the lady. And she starts playing with me, and we're drinking champagne. Long story short, I left Monday morning to go see, see him downstairs. And he's looking at me, he says, you didn't want to ask, he's such a gentleman. He says, you've been here all this while? I said, you told me to stay. We could have went home and slept. <laughs> that was the weekend. That's the weekend I met her. That's, uh, th that may be the weekend of 99.9% uh, .9 of 16-year-old boys in the world. You know, oh that, that's God. like a fantasy right there. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't even tell anybody. The only person I ever told about that and it came out later. I have too much respect for women to begin with. Spin forward, I'm with Marlon Brando. And we're talking, we're every night now, him and I. He loves me. He, he didn't stay where we all stayed. I had this apartment, I stood at the park lane because I wanted the glamour of coming out every morning all the paparazzi. I was staying there in a big room here. But I wanted to be there. So I used to go to the Elizai Hotel. That's where he was staying. Uh -huh. He liked the monkey bar, it's still there. And we'd stay all night long. This guy is nuts. Because we had, you never, we did from call times, two o'clock, three o'clock, whatever. And we're talking about Marilyn Monroe. He loved, him and Marilyn had a big affair. I don't know, but she had an affair with everybody. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. Especially when she was going to Stella Adler here, a great thespian teacher. But he says to me, too bad you were never with Marilyn Monroe. And I looked at him, he said, what was that look? I said, I don't know. He's, you were Marilyn? I said, yeah, I mean, me and you're talking about it. I'll talk to you about it. I, yeah, I was with him. 
He says, I think you're lying. I said, okay. He says, tell me something that nobody would know about Mel. It's okay. Over her right leg, right in, right in this cleavage, she has a scar. He says, you fuck you a winner. <laughs> Him and I bonded over that. He's so crazy. But I was told to go to Calneva three or four years later. They commissioned Marilyn to go there. And I don't know what's going on. I found out later, syndicate, everybody, obviously, John F. Kennedy. I was hanging out with Senator John F. Kennedy for years when he came to the Sands Hotel. I watched him do lines of cocaine off of Juliet Browse's stomach. He never saw a lady with a shaved pussy. That was his big thing. <laughs> and Juliet Browse, Ava Gardner, every night they were in that pool. I mean, Ava Gardner did everybody, guys, girls, monkeys, anything she didn't give a shit. She was nuts. So when I was just always allowed to be anywhere I wanted to be. That, that was Jack and Trotter's building. They built this on the property of Sands Hotel. He had his own swimming pool, you know, walls how around. Was, how was he? How was, how, was, how was Jack? Jack was a great guy. I met him here earlier. Then they shipped him down to Vegas when they opened the Copa Room. Mm. And that's when Jules Bodell ran this for a while. But Carmine always ran that. But Jack was a great guy. Great guy. Easy going, Easy. fun, oh, no. party and, guy. And, 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 and see, what, again, I, I wasn't realizing what they were doing. That time they were equalizing the syndicate with Jews. They didn't want to put Italians in those deals. See, and again, I don't know. I, I never segregated myself of being a gangster because I'm Italian. But they were that smart. That's why Costello called himself Costello. He wanted to be Irish. He never mm. used his name. Because when he took over Tammany Hall, Hey, nice Irish guy. You don't know what he was, a big guy. But, you know, but that's what they were doing, man. They, Interesting. They had more Jewish beards, we'd call them, to, to run stuff. And that was Maya. Maya was a genius. Maya and Modellis. Have you heard Modellis? No, but I did sit down with Oscar Goodman. Oh, I love Oscar. And you know, Oscar, you know, he has stories and a half. Oscar controlled the mob. That's he had Tony exactly. Spallatro. Tony Spallatro, yeah. Oscar Goodman, right to this day, okay? You tell, you tell Oscar you talk to me. I'm gonna, Oscar just hired me for April 16th to go to the mob museum about my book. It's the 50th anniversary of Godfather, the real book. I'm going there. I love Oscar. Oscar and I go He's way. He's another entertaining guy. I mean, oh Oscar, my God. So. And a character. I shot two movies in Vegas. He had to be in each one. He had to be. He had to, He played the mayor of Vegas when I had Ed, Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon. Ed McMahon yeah. was the governor in my movie, and he was. The he mayor. played himself. I love him. He was in Casino. He was in Casino as the oh, attorney. Yeah, of course. And he was. For yeah. Tony. Yeah. But I was saying with Oscar Goodman is he had a lot of uh, things to say about Lansky and the influence he had in Vegas. Oh my God. And what he did through Mo. Oh yeah. He, this, Mo Dalitz was his man. That's, the, that, that's exactly it. The, the, the amount of influence he had to create Vegas into what it is, and they went through Bugsy, because a lot of people think it's Bugsy. It's Lansky who had the influence. He used Bugsy as the front man. Yeah. And why Bugsy got, I, I mean, I know the guy that shot Bugsy. They were at Beverly Hills. Marksman shot him through the window, right through the eye. That's where they got that thing in The Godfather. Be Mo Dalitz, mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. mean, uh, Mo Green. Mm -hmm. That was Bugsy, they were supposed to. They, $3 million went south with all that construction. And everybody wanted to know why. And then when he opened, he opened for a flop. You know that. They made no money. But the, the foresight that they had, see, you're talking to the wrong guy about Vegas. I know everything about Vegas. We had a club there for seven years oh, in Vegas. Oh yeah, long before that. Frank Costello and Joe Kennedy owned the Tropicana Hotel. 
I had the biggest nightclub in that way before my club mm. <laughs> called Tiffany's. I had Elvis Presley open it for me. Elvis, Elvis Presley and Sammy Davis Jr. opened here. my club, Tiffany's, in the Tropicana Hotel. What year was that? Jesus. Um, I don't even know, like 69. How was Elvis? I love Elvis. Elvis was nuts, though. Okay. What's his, how different was he than everybody else? Was he unique in his own way? Well, he was just unique because who he was. I mean, this guy was statuesque. I mean, I mean, I've, I've seen him. I had the privilege of because my, my friends Alex Shufi and all of them, and you know, Kurt Kokorian. Of course. Well, when MGM. Kurt opened the hotel, yeah, but long before the MGM, he opened the International. Opening week, 4th of July weekend. First two weeks, Barbara Streisand. Second two weeks, Elvis Presley. It's two shows a night. No, Kurt, wow. Kurt and I were like this. We get the money wow. I made with him. He had the only showroom that sat 1,500 people. Everybody's like, you're nuts. The Sands Hotel, 400 people. 1,500 with a balcony. What happened with your falling out with Sinatra? You had a, so, so when, when you were about to do Godfather, he called you, right? You, you had oh, a yeah. phone call he made. What was that all about? Oh, he was nuts. I mean, I did so many things with this guy. I could tell you stories about him forever. But he calls me up. Dorothy calls me. He says, uh, the old man wants to talk to you. So I get on the phone. He says, I hear you got cast in the Godfather. I says, yeah. He says to me, you're a friend of mine, right? And I said, of course, Frank. He says, I don't want you to do the movie. I said, what? He said, I really don't want you to do the movie. You can't do it, okay? And I, I, I just spontaneous. I said, okay, and I hung up. And I'm saying to myself, is he fucking nuts? So I waited a couple of days, and I played the game on him. I called Dorothy. I said, can I talk to the old man? Got on the phone. And he started the conversation. I'm so happy you're turning that movie down. I said, can I ask you one question? You're a friend of mine, right? I threw his dialogue right back at him. He said, yeah. I said, can I ask you a question? If I asked you not to do Here to Eternity, would you have done it? And he hung up on me because he knew where I was going. Fuck you. It took me for three years. Who cares for you? He tried to, one time, because he gets stupid, you know. He gets, he's a bad Did drunk. he have a temper? Bad drunk temper. Oh, okay. So he's one of those kind of guys. Hold me back, hold me back, and there's nobody hold him. And he's going to get his ass kicked. I'm in the Galleria bar one night, and he's drunk. It's like 3 o'clock in the morning. And I, he, he told me something, and I didn't pay attention to him. Was, yeah. he, I mean, I don't have to pay attention to nobody. I, I respect everybody, but don't call me, hey, kid, you, oh, wah. I ain't a fucking cab. So I, I go on, and he says, you know, when I tell you to come here, I said, excuse me, because you can't talk to me that way. And he looks at Jilly. I put Jilly in a grave in two minutes. So he raises his hand like he's going to smack me. I grab his little skinny arm. I said, let me tell you something. This is a warning. Next time you raise your hand, I'm going to rip off your arm and shove it up your ass. And he looked at Jilly and says, Frank, because you can't, I mean, I'm an honorable person. I'm not a tough guy. Don't treat me like I'm some bar egg because you're Frank Sinatra. I will none of you. That's one thing I would never let anybody know. And that's why I got in some trouble sometimes. But I had enough people to take, take care of them. Well, you had a falling out with him again afterwards. Oh, I had a lot of them. What, 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 what happened with him and Marilyn Monroe? There, there's oh my God. something about that was him in Caldiva. Caldiva. Yeah, when he they had was, him and you were kind of a... You know, the whole story was about to come out. Marilyn was going to come out and talk about the Kennedys. Oh, yeah. What happened there? What happened there was that Kennedys never kept their end of the bargain. When Joe Kennedy went to Frank Costello and he said, I want my son to become president, I need your help. So they all got together. Corky Savello with the Teamsters out of, in, in Kansas City. Every I, I was traveling all over the place. I, I love it. I, mean, I, don't care. Mm -hmm. I bring this message, that message, this message. And obviously, primaries coming. They still realized they didn't have enough votes. They had all the culinary vote, all the international longshoremen with the Anastasia, Marcellus in New Orleans. You name every union, brotherhood, teamsters, everybody. And the thing was, if he becomes president, we're gonna invade Cuba and give you all your casinos back. 
was a win-win. Mm. And everybody went for it. So now the guy becomes president. John's mistake was he made his brother, Robert, attorney general. Robert hated his father, his brothers, for what he stood for. Robert was the baby. He was mama's boy. Joe Kennedy, I could tell you stories about Joe Kennedy you would not believe. Now, all those boys had to have a blowjob in the house when they were 16. He'd bring people in and give them blowjobs. Make them men. You gotta be a man. This guy was crazy. Yeah, I heard some stories about him. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, he... And uh, nobody knew him better than, than uh, Costello, because they were partners during Prohibition. Mm -hmm. So they were partners. So what happens, he makes him attorney general. No invasion of Cuba. He said, there's no missiles there, none of this. So they're waiting. They got nothing. Then I'm in. I'm at Marcelo's house in New Orleans because you know family things. I like go. They one thing about me. You invite me, I show up. So he's, we're gonna have this big barbecue. I go. Here come. They, they raid his backyard. All U.S. Marshals with Bobby Kennedy, and they were arresting him. They deport him, and he told them right then and there. He says, "You're dead." He says, "Oh, now you're threatening a U.S. Marshal." He says, "I ain't threatening you. I'm killing you." You're dead. Just like that. They took him out of handcuffs in front of his grandchildren and everybody. That's what got him crazy. He wasn't gone a week. Then I was on another trip to Hollywood. <laughs> so then what happened with Monroe? Monroe was commissioned to go to Calneva. Okay. And so was Joe Kennedy, Bobby, and John. Because they weren't getting what they wanted. So they were going to set up Marilyn Monroe with Bobby and John one more time. Because they all love fucking her. And they were going to film it like they did with Jay Hoover. They had Jay Hoover in their pocket for years. Well, no doubt. Because yeah. he was a cross dresser. Of course, they, yeah. they set up the party. Yep. So they're going to do the same thing now. Mm. They had Marilyn. The thing I didn't like, and I was with Frank. I had pictures. That pictures around that pool with Sinatra laying there, another singer. He was just up there playing. And But Sam Giancana was there. Everybody was there. And they were doing it. Sam's crazy. I love Sam. But... They had her so strung out, man, she didn't know where she was. Because she hated, she was so in love with John. John said he became president, he was gonna leave Jackie and marry her. Are you crazy? <laughs> then she fell with Bobby, so they thought, and they had the room all rigged, not with the sophistication we have today, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they had it. John don't show, doesn't show. He had business, couldn't come. So at least they said, let's get Bobby, because he's the one busting balls. Let's get Bobby. Bobby and her have an, uh, a conversation, unbeknownst to everybody. She says, fuck you, I'm going, to your brother, you, and I'm going to public. They didn't know that she said that. She calls Joe DiMaggio in San Francisco. Joe, come and get me, I gotta get out of here. Cause she really fucked up. Joe makes the mistake and calls Sinatra. Says, what's going on there, Frank? He's mind your business and don't come here and you hung up. If Joe- Are they married at the time? They were divorced. They were divorced. But if Joe came, who knows, she may still be alive. Or maybe she's too old, but. No, he didn't come, Bobby leaves, everybody leaves, she leaves in a half. Two days later, she was dead, two days later. No overdose, she died of oxygen. That's why I laugh, they're gonna exhume her body. Same, I mean, I know so many people, I know the guy who does it, they have a, a, a guy, and then you have ferropian organ, and she had pubic hair, so they kept pumping oxygen through her ferropian organ, so she, that's it, had an aneurysm. Wow. And then they threw all this growth. I mean, she had enough bills in her yeah. anyway. How certain are you of this story? Like how? I'll bet on all my kids. <laughs> are you crazy? You bet on I would you. never say that. I know what I knew who they sent in. This guy worked for everybody. This guy worked for everybody. The government, this. He was a doctor. He was a, he was a, train, a trained doctor. No, they used him a couple of times. Is the name public? No. He is so respected with everybody. Everybody used him. CIA used him. Mob used him. Wow. How about 
Great Britain used them once. Khrushchev used them. This All over was, the world. Yes. Oh, yeah. He was, he was the master. He lives in Switzerland. So post that event, did, did you and Frank still have a relationship? Oh, yeah. At the end, oh, yeah, we'd come back. He always, where's he going to go? He, he knows he's wrong. He, he thinks he's Caesar, you know. <laughs> the funniest story, I'll tell you, that the last time I saw him, was right down the block, Jimmy Weston. Involved John Gotti. He's at Radio City Music Hall. He's calling the wall of John is, or some of his people. He wanted 10 tickets from Sinatra. John can get any tickets he wants in New York. He didn't need Sinatra, he just busted them. Nobody's calling him. We're in Jimmy Weston's. I really didn't want to go. Because, I mean, I like those guys, but I'm not that guy that goes, has dinner with them. There's certain people I'll go with. John was out of control already. He didn't like me. So I said, Joe, Joe, why do I, I don't want to go. Joe was trying to make amends all the time with me and him. I didn't want to be bothered with him. So now, we're sitting at the front. There was a little cove with the old Jimmy Weston. You go down the steps, there's a little sofa. So we're sitting there. John liked to sit there. So you go look at the bar and the broads and all that. This dumb, stupid waiter comes from behind. John, you're not going to believe who's in the back. Frank Sinatra and Don Rickles with their wives. And I could see John's whole demeanor change. And he's whispering to Joe Watts in his ear. Next thing you know, the waiter comes with two bottles of Cristal from Sinatra to John, which is the biggest insult in the world. And that's all John drank, you know, when he was out. Why is it the biggest insult? Because you won't answer my calls, they want to buy me booze? I don't need your booze. So he says to Joe, take those two bottles and go shove them up his ass. Now, you could tell Joe, Joe's very loyal. So Joe, Picked the bottles, dried them off, and walked back there. And I'm, I slide down to my seat. I said, oh, no, man. So now picture this table. Sinatra, Barbara Marks, Don Rickles, and his wife. So as we hear the story later, Joe goes back to it, the two bottles, puts them on the table. He says, what's that about? He says, get up. Come on. I swear on my kids. So Sinatra, and he looks at Jilly. Joe, without looking at Jilly, like where you're sitting, with the bottle. Cracks him, guy's down, full bottle of Cristal. You get, and Joe, it's 200 something pounds, done. Don Rickles pisses and shits his pants. <laughs> like you, everybody gonna be serious. Even Joe, it's like the odor, the stench was ridiculous. So he comes back and people are running out because first of all, they see what's going on. Everybody's running out. So John's sitting there like Joe's doing that. And then you smell all of that. You couldn't do it. Everybody ran. I mean, Don Rickles, everybody wow. hear about that. But he literally did it right then and there. I mean, Joe's a scary guy. You ever see Joe? No. Look him up. No. Joe and I were together since we were 14. I had a, I had Was a, he just as tough at 14 as he, you know, later on? He got worse. I, I feel bad because he always saw me and I know him and he said, I want to get into what you're doing. I said, you can't, you can't, I'm not doing anything, believe me. He said, well, and then Matty the Horse owned all the nightclubs up here, the Peppermint Lounge and all that. And he knew he was being robbed. So in a the conversation, there was a conversation because envelopes had to go out to people. You didn't have those clubs. Mm -hmm. And they say, what's the, we're a little light here. <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. So he wanted a non-Italian, because they figured if you knew Italians, they're going to know who the guy is. So Joe Watts was fresh, Joe the German, but big. So he put him on the door. And in a week, two weekends, three weekends, Joe knew everybody that was robbing him. So Maddie, you know uh, Maddie the Horse, don't you? Know? Mm -mm. Maddie the Horse is Maddie Agnelli. He owned Humberto's when Joe Gallo got killed on his 40th mm -hmm. birthday. That's mm -hmm. Maddie. Maddie got the it. Horse. Got major it. guy. Though. Okay. Owned a lot of clubs and with, I mean, very mobbed up. He said, you sure about this? He said, I'm so sure. I want you to call your doorman staff to a meeting in Humberto's. So he figured, 
this guy got him. He's going to tell us. So he gets there. He says, you know, gentlemen, we're all having problems with money missing, and I don't want to point a finger at anybody. You know Joe the German, and they're all looking like, what's he doing here? He says, Joe gave me an accounting, and he says he has the answers. And now they're all wiggling. And it was his nephew who led this group of skimming the money from his own uncle. Matty says to Joe, do you see the guy here? He says, yeah, it's him right there. It was his nephew. And then he made the mistake of calling Joe a liar. He's, what'd you just say? You're a liar. Is you're dead. Matty, can I kill him? Because Joe will kill you right there. He's done it. You don't play with Joe. He's, you can never call me. I'm an honorable guy. And this kid, like, he was waiting for his uncle and said, you can't kill him. His uncle said, you're going to learn the hard way. <laughs> they didn't kill him, though, but they, he was banned from the family forever. Wow. So that's when it was... What year is it? 70s, 80s? Oh my God, yeah. 70s, 80s. Yeah. So let's go... Let's 70s, actually. So every one of these, I mean, you, you acted in a movie, you were in a movie that, you know, the greatest movie of all time, many call it, right? I mean, it's just crazy what happened with this. That's my life. How do I walk out of Pablo Escobar's torture chamber after three days? I'm here. They're all dead. How do I go see Saddam Hussein? How do I, I mean, how do I flee from your country? How do I leave your country with hundreds of millions of dollars? Johnny, if half of these stories are true, they're crazy. I told you earlier, 10% of these stories are true. Well, the funniest thing, they're all true. That's the funniest yeah, I'm just telling you. I mean, if somebody's listening to this saying, come on, John, you cannot tell me these are true. But if I'm telling you 50% are true, this is crazy. Yeah. With all the experiences you had. But what happened with Marlon Brando? You take the part, you go, he finds out you're playing Carlo. Then what happened? Apparently, oh, you had a confrontation because it was Francis Ford Coppola's idea. We went up to Patchy's 119th Street. Mm -hmm. He took the back room. I mean, nobody's in the back room during the day because that's where they have the Ziggurat games at night after midnight. So the whole cast is sitting around the table. I, I never they said we're going to have a cold reading. I thought they were going to turn the air conditioning on. I don't know what they were doing. And I never read a script before. First time I saw the script, I, I copied my lines from the book and I made these scenes. Now I have an actual script. I'm on a call sheet, I see I'm really a, an actor. <laughs> and I go with my Chinese chick chauffeur, I got a Brioni suit on, and I'm waiting to see all these actors. Sterling Hayden comes, his hair all messed up. I mean, even, even Diane Keaton, she had like combat boots on. All, everybody was scuzzy, nobody was dressed. I, you know, I, I remember the great actors, Fred Astaire, you, the way they looked, Cary Grant, mm -hmm. Humphrey Bogart. These people looked like my gardener dressed better than them. So now we're all sitting around the table. And Francis says, you know, I want you all to introduce yourselves. We know you, who you are, but let's just break that. We're a family now. And I want the Italians to exaggerate their mannerisms, to teach the non-Italians, like James Conner's Jewish, Marlon Brando's Polish, and we had all kinds of food. And now everybody just read the script, just read it. When it got to you, Bart, read your line. So we got up, Marlon Brando. No acting, it's just read no the line. Acting. No, yeah, just to get familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So Marlon Brando, and we all started laughing. He was going to say, hi, I'm Marlon Brando. But we didn't have to say nothing. He got up and he sat down. Then Pacino got up. I'm Al Pacino playing Michael and went around the whole table. Came to me. I said, I'm Johnny Russo playing Carlo. And I'm dressed like their lawyer. We go around. We do the first read-through. We have a break. On the call sheet, it says in big letters, do not approach Mr. Brando. So nobody went near him. Let me ask you, at that time, he's God right. in Hollywood. Marlon Brando's God at that time. Oh my God, as an actor. Marlon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I I'm mean, saying. Yeah, I mean, on the waterfront. So I'm calling the greatest of all time. That's yeah. what they call him. Oh, for like yeah. a 30 year. Yeah. yeah. Don't talk to him. That's what it said. Yeah. Because you know, he's that nuts. I know everybody there because I, I go there. So I'm at the bar talking to this and the other. 
I come back in, and he comes over to me, Marlon Brando. And I'm saying, why is this guy coming over to me? He says to me, you're a big TV actor. I said, no. I was like 26 at the time. You got a big movie coming out. I said, no. He says, well, you're not on Broadway. I know everybody on Broadway. He says, who'd you study with? I said, study what? Witness, he calls Francis over. He says, Francis. Francis Ford Coppola. He says, do you understand who this guy is? He said, I can't even tell you who he is. He thought I was talking about, you know, because he knew I got, can't fire me. You're the director, do anything else you want. This kid, he's embedded for the reasons I told you earlier. That's right. And I never broke down a script of what my meaning is, my part, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. people do. He did it for me. He's, he marries my daughter. He undermines my oldest son, Sonny, for the Barzinis. He gets him killed at the toll booths. My son, Michael, tries to avenge his death. He has to leave this country. My whole family is destroyed by this guy. You better get another actor. Just like that. I'm saying to myself, wait a minute. I just had a big party. I told everybody I was in this movie and everybody's saying the same thing he's saying. How are you gonna be in this movie? You crazy, you're not an actor. Get out of here, Johnny. This is this. get out of here. I said, I'm telling you, I'm in the movie. I had a big party. I did, I had a party on 56 Street Patches. So now I said, you know what? If I'm gonna get fired, I'm gonna make my move. So I don't know protocol that I can't dismiss the director, even in the rehearsal. He's the director. Mm -hmm. So I said, Francis, go over there a minute, all right? And he went. Now the whole room is saying like, who the F is this kid? And then I did the next sacrilege, I put my arm on Brendo. I said, come over here with me. And I walked him to the back, because I didn't want to embarrass the guy. So as soon as we get out of earshot, I, I had my arm on him. I said, let me just tell you something. You fucked this up for me. You hear what I'm telling you? I will suck on your heart, right here. Who the hell are you to destroy my opportunity? Because you're Marlon Brando? He stepped back. I didn't know what he was going to do. He said, that was brilliant. He thought I was acting. <laughs> he came out of the room. He told, he told, Fra he told Francis, this kid's this good actor. This kid's a good actor. <laughs> I want to take him story, out. man. <laughs> and then from there, it started the that relationship. Was he was with me every day. I couldn't get rid of him every day. Because then he said, now we're talking. You yeah. Know? And everybody really getting pissed now. Talk about Jimmy Kahn, his balls were like this. Look at this guy. How does he go? You know? And the fact that it's being shot in Staten Island, which is where yeah, you grew yeah, up, you know everybody, everybody, everybody was. Half the, half the people at my wedding were at my real weddings. The band, Nino Morielli on the bandstand, played for two different weddings for me. They wanted an Italian wedding band. I said, God, I'll call him up. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. How are you going to get that? The wedding cake, La Rosa's Bakery made my wedding cake. I said, what kind of cake is? Oh, we want the Cecilia. Oh, with the Casaga filling. How many tears? Six. I'll get the cake for you. And I, I made money for everybody. Get the cake, charge them $1,500. I get $500. They said, I made one How are they going to get it done? They couldn't get it done. No, it was, I mean, insane. What made his style of acting like? What, like, was, did he have a role? Like, did he have a routine right before he was doing something? Was there anything that to him was Brando? a routine? Yeah. Brando becomes, don't forget, he's three or four hours of makeup. Yeah, three or four hours of makeup. Once make he's in like that makeup, yeah. as that transformation's coming, the guy you were talking to when he walked in, I was in there a lot, with Dick Smith, by the time the transformation, different human being. if it was a serious part, forget about it. Now, this guy was major, I mean, he taught me everything. The closing scene, he says, you've never done this before. He says, you're gonna be projected in a single shot, 20 feet across the studio. You know you're gonna die. And everybody in the audience is going to know you do, that you're going to die. How are you going to prove you don't? Know? You know or you don't know? How are you going to prove that, that you know? Don't know. 
that you don't know. Because you don't want the audience to know you're going to die. Yeah, when he says, get the hell out of my face. Right. Yeah. I said, what should I do? He said, I'm going to give you some clues. He said, when he does these scenes with you, first of all, whisper a lot of stuff. You don't want, like, you want this to be between him and you. Don't let the rest of the guys hear because you know they're killing. He said, when he hands you a ticket, look down. Make sure there's a ticket there. Like you really think you're going to get out of there. All those little nuances. He did that. I don't know how to act. Wow. He did. But like even he used to, when he hands you the drink, don't, you're too nervous to raise it. Let him push it up to you. He did all that because I was so afraid of Michael at that point. See, up until that, when he walked in, when I got up and said, Michael, please, you got it all wrong. I thought I could con him too. But at that point, but he, he wanted to show that transition. And, and people, you know, I got recognized in the Cannes Film Festival as most promising newcomer. They thought this wow. that was a great performance. I mean, it's two scenes that's crazy. It's not just like it's like one. Oh, yeah. The other scene is which scene? The scene is where uh, Sonny comes after you, right? Oh, my God. A baseball the oh, my God, yeah. That's a sick scene. That's the garbage bill cover up on the Yeah. Way. <laughs> and he, the, the, he actually hits you with the bat, by the oh way. Oh, my God. He hit me on the Apparently bat. Apparently, you guys had issues. Like, oh, no, we had happy. a lot of issues. He almost got me killed. He got me killed about the third third week into you the He broke film. two ribs of yours? What was oh, it? Oh, that was crawling up. That was still in that scene. Yeah. He chipped my elbow, broke two ribs, hit me with the bat. There was no bat when we rehearsed it two days in a row. He came up with that improvising. When he comes out of the car, throws the bat. And he hit me right on the head. I mean, but then, thank God, we were behind the car. But he thought I'd never get up. No, he's a rat, that guy. Rat. Jimmy Kahn is so jealous. I mean, it's over now. I mean, have you guys reconnected no since way. then? No way at all. I've never talked to him. You'd never talk to him? I'm not that guy. He always got me literally killed. Literally. With Junior, Carmai Basica, who took over the Colombo family. No, Junior, well, he, he set me up. And thank God I was with Tommy Bellotti and Boozy Chico. If I wasn't with those two guys, I don't think they would have killed me, but I wasn't going on the set Monday. What was Pacino like? Pacino's great. Pacino, when we met Pacino, he was just such a humble guy. Really? Well, he was a true actor. Wow. And you know, Pacino was young and wanted to do this. Imagine playing Michael, look where his mm. career went. No, Pacino's. And I still love Pacino. You know, he's got a lot of problems now. Oh, I did Any Given Sunday, you know that. Mm. That's one of my movies. You were in Super Mario Brothers as well, I think. And yeah, Seabiscuit, yeah. right? You Sea did Seabiscuit. I did Seabiscuit. Yeah. We only got one Oscar nomination. I thought we'd get more. Seabiscuit? Well, I, Jeff Bridges and Tobey Maguire were awfully good in that. Part. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. I mean, I nicknamed one of our sales guys Seabiscuit. Really? I use. I say, listen, your nickname is Sea Biscuit. Moving forward, every time he calls me, my phone would say Sea Biscuit. After that movie came out, that's funny. So Pacino stopped. Did he have a routine, or would he just immediately, boom? He was in it. You no. stayed away. Was there now, like they? I actually was invited one afternoon where those three houses that were on the compound. They took them. They were our dressing rooms. Mm -hmm. Couldn't have trailers up there. The, the, the confines up there were so small. So our base camp was those houses. Everybody else was down in the community college, and they'd bust them up. But I used to watch these guys do impro improvisations and get into characters. I mean, I saw Al Pacino, which I, I can, even to today. And there was Jimmy Kahn in the room, Robert Duvall. These are all thespians. These they are all studied. Yeah, I mean, this is all legendary. Legend. They would compete against each other. Al Pacino did an improvisation of a one-legged man queuing up his ball playing golf. Come on. And no ball, no club, put the tee in the ground, balancing himself one leg, and put the ball on it, and then go back for the swing, and it'd fall over. Get up again. I mean, you had, I mean, for a while there, you thought he had one leg. He put the two legs together and kept them together. 
but that's what gave him that balancing. Who's in the room when he's doing that? All of you? Only, only the actors are allowed in there. And everyone's seen him do this. And then they try to beat theirs and do. Oh, I it see. It was a so challenge. It was an accent. It was a, an exercise. Wow. What I mean. Who shocked everybody? Was there anybody that was like, because Pacino, you're John expecting him. Casal. John Casal. <laughs> brilliant actor. What did he do? Just the things they did. You know, they, they'd read books. There was no books. They challenged each other. Then they would come a part of it. They were all doing yeah. so, totally improvisation. That's great to see that. It was That's a great lesson for me. What, what, what has that movie done to your life? I don't think I have a life. I don't know what I mean. If I, you, that's a great question because sitting here now, 50 years, 50 years. That's crazy. What I have amassed. I mean, I'm a businessman. I own, not own, I don't want to say that because government. I represent all the IPs. I'm the ambassador, ambassador of the quarterly owned brands, Jenko Olive Oil, the company that I represent, partnered with Greco Brothers in, in Chicago. They do six billion a year in Italian food groceries without us. Mm. We're about to go to 18,000 grocery stores. It's the biggest launch ever because it's the Godfather. It's a new product, brand is but it's one of the oldest brands in the world. I mean, listen. In, Everybody in, knows this brand. In Iran, we would watch Godfather, translated in Farsi. I mean, Godfather I was like, required watching. You know, you had to no, watch it. It's so movie. funny you just said that. My, my two grandsons live in Italy, and my, my, my one grandson sneaks calls to me. You know, I don't have a good relationship with a lot of my kids. And he says to me, Poppy, how many languages do you speak? I said, what are you talking about? He said, I turn the television on, you're talking Chinese, you're talking Farsi. <laughs> the kid don't know, he's eight years old, what does he know? He That's thinks crazy, I'm a genius. right? But think about it. This guy speaks 20 languages. <laughs> Yeah, because we watched Godfather translated in Farsi. I mean, have you, you've probably seen it to okay. see what it looks like. I liked looking at that, those kind of things. Yeah. But last, last story. Last story. I've interviewed Jim Jenkins. Jim Jenkins was the guy that was one of the four guys in the autopsy room that held JFK's uh, brain in his hands. I interviewed Clint Hill, who was a Secret Service agent for Jackie Kennedy. He was Secret Service agent, I think, for like five presidents. And he was the first guy that jumped on the car when uh, Dealey Plaza was shot. So you know who Clint Hill is. And a bunch of other guys that have to do with JFK. What's your version of the story? Two days prior, let me do that. I went to New Orleans, and I brought an envelope down, which I brought envelopes for him to go. And I go into to Carlos's restaurant, and I just came from New York, and I ran into the bathroom, and he says, somebody in there. So a few minutes later, a guy comes out, I go in, I pee, I go, and he just put down a big plate. They knew I like pasta vongole, el dante, unbelievable. And I sit down, he says, don't get comfortable. I said, what do you mean? He says, you gotta go back. He says, you got something for me? And I gave him the envelope. I just wanted to get rid of the envelope to begin with. I said, so Mr. C wants to know. He says, just tell him this, it's on. So he told me, go back to New York, right? Go take a shower upstairs, come down, I'm gonna meet him at 11 o'clock. Come in. He says, what, what's, what did he say? He says, it's on, okay. He slides a manila envelope over to me. He says, there's $15,000 in cash in there. There's merchant marine papers, and you're leaving the end of this week on the independence. It's okay. He's, where are you going? He says, you're going on a ship. He says, that's all you gotta know. When you land in Barcelona, come off the ship. A man will meet you at the pier. They'll have a card, name on it. It's okay. I said, then what? He says, he'll tell you then, then what? And that's, I did this so many times. You know, because I didn't want to know. He didn't want me to know. Thank God he didn't want me to know. So now I go, get all my clothes, I have 15,000 cash for spending money. Oh, and he said, you're going to 
go to go to Layton's. I set you up at Layton's. We weren't wearing Brioni yet. He says, go to Layton's, get some clothes. You'll be at the captain's table every night. Captain Pennington's the captain of the ship. Okay. So I get on board, and I'm going to, I have to go, I had crew deck, I had to go where the crew was. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, sir, you have to go, you're a passenger. I had Gucci luggage. <laughs> the reason he, he got me on the ship as a hairdresser. See, as a merchant marine, there's no passports, there's nothing. He didn't want anybody to know where I was going. That's how much he protected me. Wow. I was gone 22 months. I leave, we're going under the Verrazano Bridge. I can remember it like yesterday on the loudspeaker. They said, President Kennedy has just been shot. They didn't say he was dead. I'm getting chills even repeating it. I said, oh my God. Because I just spent so much time with John F. Kennedy. I went to the inaugural. <laughs> I was with Senator John F. Kennedy watching him babysitting for years while they were grooming this guy. That wasn't enough. Now that night in the dining room, we could, I mean, because then now later on, hours later, they mentioned he's dead. And then I said, oh, this is insane. Because I was with, I brought envelopes. I went to Texas when they convinced Lyndon Bain Johnson to join the ticket. Even though he had all these votes, they knew they needed Texas. And Lyndon Bain Johnson he didn't like it. I hated Couldn't them. stand the family. But they, he knew. They said to him, before his terms out, you'll be president. Who told him that? <laughs> I can't tell you who told him that. That's why he came along for the ride. That's why he brought him to the knoll. He was the only guy that brought him there. Nobody brought that out yet. And there was three shooters. That's why those guys, when they saw him, they knew he wasn't shot by Oswald. And guess what happened to me now? Mm. We go, the next morning I get up on a Telex newspaper. The guy that was in the, in the bathroom, Louis Harvey Oswald. Marcellus hired him. They wanted their own hitters. They didn't trust anybody. <laughs> Three hitters. The guy in the sewer. Guarantee that someone's gonna get him. The guy in the sewer was the dead bullet. That was the bullet that they, they can't figure out how it made lefts and rights. A good friend of mine, too. And what they did to him, they found him in a barrel. You know, 73 people died. Since the Kennedy assassination, they took out 73 people. Connolly, no one's going to tell you that shit. <laughs> and that's why then they did what they did, you know. But Bobby, he was sitting in the front uh, seat mm -hmm. when that happened, yep. the governor. Yep. And he knew what was going to happen? We don't know. So what do you think about LBJ? You don't know? No. You just know what you heard? That's all I, that's all I ever do. Okay. And I don't even know that. You don't even know that. It's only hearsay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, every, you know, it's, everybody's curious, man. And you, you would wonder, you would think, like, after all these years, you know, a guy like that, when all these things coming out, someone's going to come out and tell the truth on what took place. Someone with the... Well, there's a lot in my book, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I've... And I've even when, you know, when, we, when they... I, I, was, I was devastated because you know, I really liked the guy, and not, nor do I ever want to say I was part of a conspiracy, but indirectly, I, all I did was bring envelopes like I always did. And I was questioned by everybody, believe me. And I waited 22 months. I came back after 22 months, I was gone. You were in Italy? I, I started in Spain. The guy who picked me up, we took our time, and I realized why. And uh, then I finally got to Sicily, and I stayed with a very close friend of mine who just recently passed on, and uh, that was it. What a life you live, man. Well, they so much all of these stories. I said, and then when they, they would say, to, and, they, and Costello would tell Ugo, Ugo Bufu, who was the boss of mm -hmm. Sicily, he says, you want to keep this guy happy? Just get broads. <laughs> you <laughs> get his own food, get him women. You? <laughs> yeah.
Grace Kelly. Anything with Grace Kelly or not? Oh, I can't. Yeah, it's funny. They did a story on me a couple yeah. of, a couple of months ago. Why I didn't talk about Grace Kelly? And I said, you know, talking about Grace Kelly is like talking about the Blessed Mother. I knew Grace Kelly when she was staying here on 63rd Street and, and Lexington Avenue, the Barbizon Hotel. Her family from Philadelphia sent her here for finishing school. Costello would give me an envelope to go to the floor monitor after nine o'clock, and this guy. We used to call it flowers for the table. No, if a bride says, go get me some flowers. <laughs> and I give the guy the money, and then one night it was Grace Kelly with Audrey Hepburn and two other socialites. And I drop them at the Copa or Latin Quarter. They wanted to be with Earl Wilson and all these guys. That's what it was all about. Mm. And, and that's one thing about Costello. He took care of everybody. Newspaper people, police department, mayors, everybody, presidents. The amount of presidents, they controlled the ridiculous. Ridiculous. How was Grace Kelly's personality? What the personality said? How was Amazing. That? Yeah. Ama amazing lady, and I, I was honored. I went to her wedding. I was at every every year. Princess Grace Kelly Princess of, Grace Mon Mon uh, of Monaco. Monaco. Yeah. But what's interesting, every year I was at the Red Cross Ball sitting with Frank Sinatra, everybody else, Carrie, I mean, anybody that was alive, I was there every year, and everybody was like, who is this kid? Last question, Nixon mobbed up. Was Nixon mobbed up? Oh my God, yeah. Nixon, Nixon was, uh, I mean there's so many that were, but Nixon, and I can't figure out, people didn't figure this out. We all know Jimmy Hoffa while he was in prison, yeah. found God, Yeah. and he was gonna come out. And this particular time, I was on the FBI wiretap all over the world, they got me, They. I knew I was screwed. So, but the good news, indirectly, he got me out of that mess, because I just borrowed $72 million from the, uh, the Teamsters to build my hotel in Vegas. So, and I was borrowing a lot of money, but you don't have papers. What do you need? You got it. So he was going to come out and disclose Frank Fitzsimmons and all of them and what they did with the pension fund and the brotherhood would vote him in. So they called Nixon. They said, I mean, uh, yeah, Nixon. They said, you got to pardon Jimmy Hoffa. They said, what? He said, pardon Jimmy Hoffa. And he pardoned him. So they didn't kill him. That's a story. No way I can tell you that story. He pardoned Jimmy Hoffa so he could kill him. pardoned Jimmy Hoffa so certain people can kill him. Who killed him? Jimmy Cooney? Jimmy, uh, Jimmy, uh, uh, James Cooney? Something like that. A name like that. He's in prison right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, apparently, that's the story. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different stories when it comes down to that. Well, that's why I laugh all the time when they say, oh, the FBI has a tip that they're buried in a farm, and they go there and dig up farms for Nothing comes out, yeah. I'll tell you where Jimmy Alpha is. How's that? That Buick, they took the axles out and the motor block out, and they delivered it to friends of ours, and they crushed it in the car crushing thing. And mob guys were bidding on that pedestal. It's a four by four piece of steel. The friction, heat, and all that, there is no DNA. There's nothing. And they say, oh, and there's a couple of us that know the story. So I said, oh, he was buried in the giant stadium and he's, he's buried. They come up with all these stories where Jimmy Hoffa is. <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa is in a mob boss's basement game room with an eight foot piece of plate glass over it. And they put their feet up. <laughs> it's only certain guys know that, man. That's nuts. Let's talk about this book. <clears throat> Mario, you guys enjoying this? You're just sitting here like it. it we weren't talking about the book all along. <laughs> now, last thing here. So and, we and this is a novel. This is not a true story. <laughs> Based on uh, uh, many fictional stories here. No, just so Nick 
Pelleggi oh, from yeah. Goodfellas. Gianna Russo has seen a lot, done a lot, and tells a lot. Amazing. Gay Tellies, Gianna Russo is a true character who has led a most colorful life. So what else can you tell us about this book? It's coming out what? It's coming out in the next couple about months. March 12th, yeah. March 12th, okay. What else do we know that's going to be in this book? I know you talk about some stuff with Shaw. What else is in here? The Vatican, a lot of stuff about Hollywood, a lot of ins and outs of movie stars, friends I've been with. Great story about Jaja Gabor. You got to read that one. It's amazing. I can't tell you what it happened in Howard Hughes' house, though. So, there's so many great stories. A lot of fun things. A lot of stories of how the Godfather movie saved my life, especially with Pablo Escobar. I thought I was dead because you know I had a, a problem with two of his guys went there because you know they they believe in Santeria. So when I had a, 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 an incident in my club in Vegas State Street. And I, I had to shoot this guy after he stabbed this woman and he slit my throat and I just took him out only to find out he was an underboss with Pablo Escobar and they were just setting up a whole new thing in Vegas of drugs. And his brother, Lorenzo Medellin, was like this with Pablo. And he had to, he has to avenge his brother's death. They believe in Santeria. Mm -hmm. so, I didn't know anything about this. Oscar Goodman, we were talking about him earlier, and, and different people at the time, they got a girl from UNLV to tell me about the Santeria. Because I came home, there was a whole thing on my living room floor, and I live in secured compound. <laughs> and this is on my rug. And they had my, my, my daughter picture with salamanders and chicken and all this stuff on my rug, like six foot circle. And she had to explain to me. She said, well, you are marked for death. But they're gonna avenge anybody and anything. Your pets, they'll kill. You'll be the last to go. So I came to New York to meet Gotti. He was the only one. I figured I knew he was, I didn't say it directly to him. So again, I gotta say my good friend Joe Watts. He's like this with John. I said, I gotta talk to John. They arranged it. I come here and I was wondering for the longest time, not a long time, in a couple hours while I was waiting to get on the plane, why is he doing this? He figured out if I got there, I'd never come back. He thought, I'm done with this guy finally. So he arranged for me to go there. I went, I went to Bogota. Because I figured, let me appeal to this guy. I ain't gonna have my kids killed and all this, and friends of mine. I had nothing to do with this. And I said, if I had a minute to tell him, then let him kill me, I don't care. I don't want nothing to happen to my kids. And I went. And I met him in a church, I felt good about that. And then when I walked met who, you met Pablo? Yeah, Pablo. And he was in a church, see the image of who I thought it was, and he was praying. And the closer I got to my smell flesh, he was burning his fingertips. I don't know if it was some kind of penance. He was burning his fingertips on the candles as he was praying. And as I'm walking down the aisle to get to him, every time I walk 10, 15 feet, you hear creaking of the pews and guys were sitting up with guns. So I thought I was there alone. There was about 10, 15 guys in the church. So all I remember is going there to him and I said, Mr. Escobar, I gotta tell you, and that's all I got out. I woke up, chained to chairs. My clothes were stripped off of me. The seat had no bottom. And there were body bags, blood all over. I mean, the stench in that room. And these guys were just having fun with me. Then one day, a man, I'm sitting like I'm done. I don't even know how many hours I was there. A guy, neatly dressed, standing in front of me. Talk about the Godfather and what it means to me. He says to me, why don't you tell me you were calling with the Godfather? And it was Pablo Escobar. He said, take him upstairs and clean him. So I go, he gave me some pills because I was in pain. They had a chain and like a ball, they were with rubber on it, and they'd be hitting me in my groin area. 
I mean, my rectum and balls, I mean, I couldn't even move for like, I, I walked like an old man at that time. And he was very apologetic, he gave me some pills. I, they took me to the room, I stayed there, he says, sleep, I don't know how long I slept. Next thing you know, I'm all dressed in one of, you know, those white, beautiful clothes. I've been having dinner with him. And he says to me, I'm so sorry, but my people treated you like this. I'm saying to myself, you did, you asshole, not your people. And we talked for a long time, and he says, tell me, why did you come here? I said, I had nothing to do with this. Your man, or whoever he was, because I didn't want to directly say it's your guy, as whoever you sent, he, he breaks a, a crystal bottle, sticks it in this lady's face. I go to try to rectify it. I told him, leave. I did. I said, you hear those sirens? They're coming for you. Get out of here. Because if it was somebody in there, they've got to have it. I, wanna, I don't want to be a, a witness no more than sit in a trial for two months for you. I said, get out of here. And he said, no, man. I said, no, man. Where's Mon? Where's Mon? Then I realized, you know. But I didn't know he had the bottle yet at that mm. time. And that's when he went for my neck. Yeah. And I went back. And that's why this chin was hanging. So now I have the green light. Now I can play with it. Because once I know it's self-defense, that's all. Anybody I killed was self-defense. In fact, the last judge I was in front of, he says, Mr. Russo, I don't understand about all the self-defense. He says, but if you kill another person and you don't open your shirt and there's a big S on your chest, you go to jail. <laughs> Crazy things, man. And with that being said, Gianna Russo, it's been a pleasure sitting out no, here with man. you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.